Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but Dan, the annuals don't count. Well, welcome again, everybody, to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe and as always, a thank you to you for joining us for a special review episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. Every other week, we put out a mainline episode of our flagship show, and sprinkled in between, we review new comics as well as interview some of the greatest Spider-Man creators of yesterday and today. This is the perfect time to start listening. Today on the show, Dan and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 83, entitled Beyond Chapter 9. This issue was written and illustrated by Patrick Gleason, with colors by Maury Hollowell and Nathan Fairbairn, a cover by Arthur Adams and Alejandro Sanchez Rodriguez, and letters by Chris, oh man, I can never say his name, Eliopoulos and VCs Joe Caramanga. This issue was first released on December 29th, 2021. What's Mark, when was the last time that we had a issue of Amazing Spider-Man that was both illustrated and written by the same person? Oh, boy. Has it happened? I want to say, did, did Byrne ever write in script in volume two? I don't, I don't, I can't think of a time where that's happened. The correct answer, Mark, is Steve Ditko. Oh, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. I mean, yeah, this is a really special issue of Amazing Spider-Man. I'm going to get into a summary of it to kind of explain why. So here's my summary of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 83. Janine floats in her infinity pool, reading up on Ben's latest exploits and that Captain America is in town at the McCarthy Medical Center, where, conveniently enough, Peter is currently resting. She again laments that her life still seems akin to being in prison. Boy, she cannot get over that uh, lament. At McCarthy, Peter's nurse Lois chides him about being lazy with his physical therapy. Peter notes a new text from MJ and a salacious writing in lipstick from Felicia, and that in his haze, he apparently went shopping for Spidey stuff online, which, Mark, this one connected to me personally. 
<laughs> but then Peter's spider sense goes out of control and in a trippy sequence inside Peter's mind, he forces his spider sense to leave him after it takes on an abstract form like one of Gleason's web-headed variant covers and walks away. Peter's package arrives and he suits up and heads out from some spider therapy in the form of stopping a carjacking. But it doesn't go as well as Peter expected and he gets beat badly, especially when Captain America shows up and accidentally hits Peter with his shield and stops the criminals at the same time. Peter then dreams of his childhood again, returning to the story of him stealing bubblegum. Peter has a fever, but May gives him medicine to dull his senses, noting that he can feel that pain only if he chooses to. Peter then sees the manifestation of his spider scent and refuses to accept it back until Uncle Ben shows up and gives him a lesson on the cost of doing good. Peter then decides to accept his spider sense back and awakens in pain, but signals to Lois that he's ready to begin the difficult physical therapy. That's a, a, a lot going on in one little story, but I think it's told really effectively and beautifully by Patrick Gleason. What do you think of this, which I consider Peter's true proper return to the pages of Amazing Spider-Man? Yeah, I would say that this this is this is the return that I would have expected, given you know where where the character has been the last few months. Not necessarily the monster story we got a week prior. More than anything else, I think this is a comic that demonstrates Patrick Gleason's many gifts not just visually, but just, just general storytelling gifts and just kind of the different lessons that we can glean in terms of Peter and his recovery process here. I mean, this was, like you said, a very beautifully intricate story with a lot of layers to it, even though there was some quietness to it as well. I think it's like really solid, like in terms of, you know, people we were saying in the last episode that people were commenting on how great it was to get a one and done story there. To me, this is a real one and done story. Like this has a beginning, middle and end. There's a very clear arc for Peter throughout this in terms of him kind of choosing to accept the pain. It also harkens back to the initial themes of that we got introduced in issue 75, where like in this issue, it talks about Peter not being able to sit still and not address problems one at a time. But this kind of situation of being poisoned has forced him to. Which, you know, in the first issue, we got this idea that he wasn't willing to give himself time to grieve over the loss of Harry because Spider-Man stuff keeps interrupting, you know, his process. But that, that's a choice he's made, right? And here he makes that same choice again, forcing his body to get out of the bed, ignoring the pain instead of accepting it and the long path he has ahead of him. And by the end of the issue, he's learned a lesson in choosing to except that he has a longer journey ahead of him. And to me, this is like the perfect example of how you do this type of comic, which is, you know, build on an ongoing theme, you know, move the story forward in a very micro way and tell a, a comprehensive, complete story in one issue. This is what I come to like serialized comics for is issues like this. Yeah. I mean, and you know, Certainly, I feel like even when Peter was struggling here, he, he just felt more resourceful or maybe it was just the fact that we were in his head so much that you just kind of, you know, being a part of that thought process. Peter's thought process always fascinates me and Gleason kind of, you know, really taps into that here. So even when he needs saving from Captain America, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily, I don't know, you're, you're in his head enough where 
you still feel like he's a part of the story, that he's not a, a bystander. And I got to admit, this is like part of a genre of Spider-Man stories that I really like, which is when Peter doesn't really have access to his full set of skills and is like seriously overpowered, even by a bunch of like dumb old goons, you know, like uh, this goes back to like the Dicko era to me, which is like, I've got a flu or my arm is in a sling and I've got to try to like hold my own against foes that I would normally mop the floor with. Despite the fact that I feel like this moved the story forward in a way that we haven't, maybe because of that, it also feels kind of disconnected to what we've been getting the last few months. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a positive or a negative. What, what, do, you, do you know what I'm talking about here, Dan? I think it stinks that I view it as a negative, right? Like I'm, I'm so much more interested in Peter's recovery than I'm in with. I am in Ben's whatever is happening with Beyond. Like that story is so stalled out for me that like I'm, I'm, I'm. This story made me immediately interested in Peter's recovery, and like I could see issues of him going through physical therapy. That's interesting to me, and so character uh, uh, oriented. Yeah, I, I'm I'm really kind of hooked on 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 this story. Do you see it as a positive or or a negative? You just told me that it's a positive for sure. Because I mean, I, I feel like we're, we're we're dealing with the story that I'm more interested in right now. But yeah, I mean, like. I am still trying to figure out where does this tie into to beyond Do it. Does it need to tie into beyond? Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Something I do want to really get into, though, is Gleason's art and his writing here. I mean, we talked about this early on, but like, I mean, first of all, like the manifestation of the spider sense as a being here. I mean, the fact that it kind of plays off of those very iconic covers that Gleason did earlier uh, in and in, uh, during the, the Spencer run. I mean, like genius, right? <laughs> Yeah, that is so genius. I, when I saw that, I immediately recognized that and was like, this guy knows when he's got a hit. You, you know what I mean? And and I just love how much he trusts in the audience to get it and really leans into these kind of bold thematic visualizations, both here and in issues 75 and, and 76. To me, you know, getting this kind of visual storytelling, a lot of this issue is kind of silent. You know, it's really relying on you know, unique visuals to convey it. This is what I like. kind of hope to get when you hand over like authorship of an issue to an, to an artist. You know, this is very art forward. That's not to say, I think he's got actually a really great understanding of Peter's voice, you know, better than I think any of the other writers other than like maybe Zeb Wells. I, I was really pleased with that. He used other kind of visuals and, and, and little uh, you, you know, narrative cues too really effectively here. Like I really, you know, we, we joked about kind of the, the get well message from, from Felicia, like on, you know, over <laughs> his bed. I thought that was just really clever. It got a, it got a legit laugh out loud moment for me when reading this. And then even like the whole interaction with Cap where, you know, Cap kind of saves the day, but then, you know, slams him in the head with the shield. And he's like, you usually duck, you know, he's like, sorry, kid. Uh, I, I just, I, I just felt it was all very, subtle and clever and telling a larger story about where Peter is at right now and versus the rest of the the his his supporting cast or the Marvel universe where the case may be and you just tell lots of little t tiny micro stories out of these little interactions and I think that's a sign of, of really good storytelling yeah I love his Peter too I know I've talked about this before but he's 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 youthful but he's not a kid right uh, you know and uh, you know but Especially when you see him as a kid, which I also really like that design as well. And I love, again, his like layouts, you know, and how he establishes settings, you know, his beyond 
corporation stuff is slick and technological, almost Spider-Man 2099-ish. But like Peter's Hospital is full of like really structured, ordered close-up panels. And then once we get into his head, everything is fantastical and Leia bleed into each other. And, you know, he really knows how to like transform a story as you go through it. Like the level of confidence I have in Patrick Gleason as a storyteller after this issue is like enough that I would say like, give this guy a volume of Spider-Man for him to own adjectively Spider-Man for him to own. I don't want to take him away from amazing because I think he's like great, but like I would be confident giving this guy his own, his own book on a level of magnitude, like that I would say is, you know, exclusive to like Todd McFarlane, you know, and the results of that we can argue about. Like, I, I think Gleason has really shown himself to be, quite an accomplished creator after an issue like this. What do you think they're saying about it in the Slack? Should I, should I tell people about that, Dan? I think so. Uh, we have had a lot of conversation about this there. Okay, well, hundreds of listeners like you, Dan, hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. So, Mark, one of the big discussions this week in the Slack, and you and I have not talked about this on the show yet, is like there's a rumor going around that Jonathan Hickman and Chris Bacalo will might be taking over Amazing Spider-Man when Beyond concludes. Mark, instant reaction to Jonathan Hickman and Chris Bacalo as the choice for this book. Woof. I don't know if I got my Spider-Man encyclopedia on my phone fast enough to keep up with what a Hickman scripted Spider-Man book would read like. So I'm not sure if I'm feeling that. I mean, as much as I love both of those creators, putting them together sounds like a book that will take me hours to work my way through to be able to follow. You know, if they can bring something bold and new to this title, I think it could probably desperately need it. Uh, It's just a rumor at this point. We're definitely weighing it in the Slack. So again, if you want to join this awesome Spider-Man community on the Slack, just follow the link in the description and be sure to say hi. And uh, once you're there, let us know what you thought of this episode we're recording right now or that rumor about Hickman and Bacalo. Pretty crazy stuff, but not as crazy as the thing we have in our hands right now, which is issue 82, rather 83, rather. Um, So let's get back to talking about that. Mark, we return in this issue to the Uncle Ben story that we got in um, ASM number 75, where Peter was kind of dreaming of Ben's face disappearing. We don't quite get that kind of creepy imagery again here, but it is kind of equally, you know, weird and mixing both his past and present into one kind of thing. What did you think about this sequence? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we came back to it. And I think it's important to kind of bookend, you know, Peter's comings and goings with it right now in this storyline. Yeah, I was a little surprised that we didn't get the faceless return of faceless Ben. But I also feel that there there might be significance in that because I also feel like one of the themes that was coming out of this interaction was one of kind of, well, first there was kind of like choosing pain and choosing when to feel pain or not with the with the whole medication from May, but also like there was I, I also this underlying theme of forgiveness and 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 kind of you know paying 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 the price for your sins, if you will. You know, in this case, it was the stealing of the gum. You know, I think it was just interesting in in, in the in the vein of what obviously kind of brought Peter into this 
state of mind was his his remorse and 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 pain over Harry and you know and the fact that now that he's kind of coming out of this this coma comatose state thinking of these ideas of of how to move on and and how to process pain and grief and 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 mistakes maybe this will be what will help propel the character forward in a way that we haven't seen him be, been able to move forward yet yeah i i agree with all of that and i also think this is really kind of a nice moment for ben as a character like it, we, I, he really seems fatherly here in a way that we don't really quite see most of his stuff is just kind of like grand moralizing but there's kind of like a like a lovingness to to this which is to say like he could have grandstanded morally on like Peter's actions, but instead he like rewards him and says like, look, Hey, you know, I, I know it feels bad to, to like kind of like dwell in this moment of pain over your actions, but like, you know, and, and you're not always going to be rewarded for doing good or, you know, taking back, you know, and admitting a mistake, but I'm going to give you a small reward here and a lesson. And I feel like that's something like a father would do. Which is to say, like, not to just like pile on the the pain uh, uh, onto their child, and I I, I, I like that quite quite a bit. Do do we want to get hung up on the whole fact that like Ben's face isn't some gaping hole here and that imagery? I mean, this one is obviously very metaphorical, which is to say, it's really about like Peter's addressing his pain in the moment in the hospital and his choosing to accept the pain of the spider sense. Are they, are they just going for a different beat and then didn't need to bring it back? Or should we be reading into that? I would say maybe the reason why we didn't bring it back is because Peter is kind of advanced in a way, you know what I mean? Like that, you know, that he, because he's kind of accepted some of these lessons, he, he, you know, it doesn't have to be this faceless being telling him this, like he can see the face because he can see the truth of the matter. Now. I don't know. That's, that's one little metaphorical view of it, I guess. (laughs) There is like a push, at least in the slack, to suggest that like the initial memory that we saw wasn't Peter's, but it was Ben's. And I don't know that I buy into that because like everything in issue 75 suggests that it was Peter having this dream. If it ultimately ends up not being, then like fine. But at this point, they've given us no reason to to doubt that that memory is was Peter's and that there's something going on with both Peter and Ben in regard to their memory, you know, it is something interesting to flag, you know, that we aren't getting the same kind of thing here with a memory we know is explicitly tied to Peter. Although I would argue the one from 75 was also coded very clearly as being Peter's memory. Right. As of this issue, we've now seen the entire beyond creative team, right? We've gone through the first round. We're halfway through the book and we're just going to, I think for the most part, kind of, you know, flip this creative team and and go through them one more time. What do we think? Are there any standouts? You know, we've got Cody Ziegler, who did a couple issues, Kelly Thompson, Saladin Ahmed, Zeb Wells with Patrick Gleason, and now Patrick Gleason on his own. Have we kind of figured it out? Like, what are you feeling about this team overall? I think that for me, you can you can clearly tell that like Zeb Wells from a at least from a plotting standpoint has kind of been the driving force here, um, and that 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 has not my, that opinion of mine has not changed. I think in terms of bringing true creative ideas to the to the mix here, like Gleason has impressed me the most. 
and the others I'm kind of like, all right, you know, I, I'm, I'm not disappointed necessarily, but I'm not like, you know, bowled over waiting for more, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think the thing that kind of sets them aside, this is like Saladin Ahmed, Kelly Thompson, Cody Ziegler, is that they're also doing other comics for Marvel at the same time. So it really feels like Amazing Spider-Man is borrowing them temporarily, whereas Patrick Gleason and Zeb Wells feel much more like, I mean, I guess Zeb Wells is also doing Hellions, but that I think has been done for a little bit by this point, And he's really dedicating his full energy to this, at least from my understanding. So like they feel like they're being borrowed and their stories feel that way. Uh, Ahmed has really kind of like disappointed me the most out of this because I thought he would be the most ready to step up into this. Um, Kelly Thompson has been a writer that I've really enjoyed and had my eye on, but the more I've read of her, the more I see some of her weaknesses. And I think they were showcased here and, and Cody Ziegler, I think, was like kind of like a, a surprise, like, oh, this guy like fits right in, even though I've not seen any of his work before. All right. Do you want to uh, give this a grade, Dan? Yeah, sure. I'm going to give this one an A minus. We're three for three on these uh, review issues lately, Dan. I'm right there with you. A minus for me. I felt this was probably the standout of Beyond so far. Absolutely. All right, great. Well, hey, uh, as entertaining and valuable as we found this comic, if you feel the same way about our show, please consider supporting us. That means, you know, recommending Amazing Spider Talk to a friend. If you've got a friend who likes comics and might like our show, why not tell them about Amazing Spider Talk? But if you really love our show and you really want to help us keep doing this, why not become a member of our Patreon? Yeah, we can only bring you this content with the support of our Patreon members, and we owe the show's success to every single one of them. And we are constantly making exclusive content for our members. Yeah, so why not take $3.99, the price of a new comic, and put it towards a month's subscription to support the show and start receiving our Patreon content. That way you'll hear our Patreon exclusive review podcast on every new issue of Amazing Spider-Man the same week they come out instead of waiting for them to arrive in our public podcasting feed. And if you contribute $10 a month, you gain access to exclusive artwork from famous Spider-Man artists commissioned exclusively for our members. This season, we'll be mailing out a print by artist Ron Friends, who's created a lost page of the kid who collects Spider-Man for us, inked by Brett Breeding, depicting Tim and Spidey sharing laughs over Tim's Spider-Man comic collection. Plus, every episode, we release a new episode-specific desktop background created for us by artist Nick Cagnetti for our patrons to enjoy. And also, like, it's worth noting that for $20 a month, you can become a web warrior and get those prints in color. And I'm really excited about the colored ones that we're sending out this time. They're absolutely stunning and I think worth that extra money. And, you know, it just helps support us a a little bit more. And with that Ron Friends uh, work, I'm also going to hire a letterer to come in and add in some awesome words to that page, just like it was written by Roger Stern. But it's going to be written by me, unfortunately. I can't (laughs) hire Roger Stern to write it, but I'll do my best to simulate what Roger Stern might have put on that page. I, you know, maybe that's sacrilegious, but whatever, I'm going to lean into it. There you go. But, uh, <laughs> but of course, I know this is a hard time for everybody, as it is for us, too. So we appreciate anyone who supports the show just by listening and sharing. But if you do have the means, please join our Patreon to support the continued existence of our show. You can follow the link in the description to get to our Patreon. Check out all the different options there and consider signing up. 
Uh, and again, a thank you to everybody who's already gone through all those steps and is already supporting us on Patreon. It, you know, at this time of the year, around the New Year's, it, it means a lot. You know, I look at my resolutions and I think I just need to be more grateful uh, overall. So again, thank you to everybody who already supports us. Well, Dan, it's that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this episode was edited by Rick Coast and with our artwork coming handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Busema and Ray Sumzer. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton and Spider Madge. So, Mark... Until we get a Spider-Man comic where Ben doesn't impart a new lesson on our hero, what's our motto? Our motto is, with great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider-Talk. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. See you in 2022, everyone.